Matthew chapter 19. Amen. Look at God's word. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a, a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man which is his wife, with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Amen. The Lord always adds a blessing to his holy word. Father in heaven, we have sung that you are Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Your word tells us that it is from you and through you and to you that all things exist. You are the living God. We have beheld you, O God, seated upon your throne. And to us, Lord, these are not just religious words. They are the reality of this world and the universe in which we live. God, our God, is on his throne. He is our maker, our creator, our designer, our lawgiver, our judge. 
And you, O Lord, have given us your word, and we tremble at your word. While we love your word, would it be, dear Father, that by your spirit, your word would affect us in whatever way each heart needs to be affected? Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you are visiting with us this afternoon, you should know that we are preaching our way through the Gospel of Matthew. And as we have the pattern, the habit as a church of moving through books of the Bible, the effect of that, one of the effects of that, is that it brings us to text of Scripture, of sacred Scripture, of God-inspired and given Scripture, it brings us to texts that in our flesh and in ourselves we would never preach on our own, but must preach because God has included them in His Word. And the text that has been read in your hearing this afternoon is such a text. It is, it is a text that challenges us in our flesh, but challenges us as well in our culture and says to us things that in our flesh we probably would rather not hear, hear, and in our culture we know all around us are people who refuse to hear. But God, who is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who is on the throne, who rules as creator, lawgiver, and judge, he has spoken. He has spoken to us in his word. This is a two-part mini-series in Matthew 19, verses 1 through 12, on the topic of marriage. Last week, marriage, what God has joined together. This week, marriage, when things go horribly wrong. I want to recommend a couple of books for you based on last week's message. First of all, a book by Rob Green called Tying the Knot, an excellent uh, book to uh, establish you in the basics of marriage. Timothy Keller, The Meaning of Marriage, a book that will inspire and move you to see the wonder and the glory of marriage as God designed it. And then a book very relevant, very current for our moment in history, a book by Sam Alberry, Is God Anti-Gay? It is a gentle, a reflective, a loving, a compassionate look at a very, very difficult topic. Uh, copies of this book are available in uh, the book nook, uh, and we encourage you to pick one up and read. A reminder that God willing, if time allows, we're getting a little tight on time, but if time allows, we're going to do some Q&A at the end, and so there should be a number already up there if you have questions. By the way, if we don't get to your question, either in a direct answer or in the course of this message, please feel free to follow up and talk with us personally. Speaking of questions, I imagine that someone could easily ask the question, why do we preach on these matters? And in addition to what I've already said, because well, we're preaching through Matthew, and so we have to preach on it. I would add this. 
we preach on these things because God has included them in his word. And all scripture, Timothy tells us, is inspired by God and is profitable. So there is value, there is something to be gained by this scripture. We preach on this text because Jesus told us to. In Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe some of what I told you to do. Anybody awake? Teaching them to observe most of what I told you to do. Teaching them to observe the parts of what I told you to do that you enjoy teaching. Now, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus gives me as a pastor no option but to preach these words of Jesus because Jesus commanded me to preach everything that Jesus taught. And so if Jesus taught it, then we must teach it as well. Why do we teach this? Because it is truth, I believe with all of my heart, that can lead people to repentance and faith. Because it is as we consider what God says about marriage and divorce and remarriage that we come face to face with ourselves and our own sins and our own issues and it can lead us to repentance and lead us to faith in Jesus Christ. And why teach this? Because it just might save one marriage and one family from disaster. And if it does that, then it's worth doing. So with all that in mind, let's review God's rule for marriage according to King Jesus himself. By way of review from last week, marriage is God's idea, not man's or men's. Marriage is defined and designed by God. Marriage is for a man and a woman. Marriage is made to last and marriage is not for everyone. It is noteworthy if you've been tracking the news that two candidates for the presidency of this country openly mocked those of us who believe these truths about marriage just this past week. One of them arguing that if he is elected, he will go after churches and institutions that believe what we believe about marriage and remove tax-exempt status from them. Brothers and sisters, this is current and relevant teaching. This, this is for our times. And if we know and love Christ, then we must stand with Christ, whatever the cost may be. Marriage is God's idea. Marriage is defined and designed by God. Marriage is for a man and a woman. Marriage is made to last. And marriage is not for Everyone. Now we notice in Matthew 19, keep your Bibles open there, we notice in verses 7 through 9 that these truths, which we looked at last week, have implications for the issue of divorce. Look at verse 7. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, 
because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, <coughs> whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. To that text, we can add what we saw in Matthew 5 several months ago. The law of God becomes even clearer in Jesus' words, Matthew 5, 31 and 32. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. It is clear from these texts that God's design, God's intention, is that divorce never happen. That is God's design. That is His intent. That is His desire. And that when it does happen, it means that someone has sinned greatly. The, the law of marriage and divorce means this. Someone has divorced for an illegitimate reason or has caused a divorce by committing the sins that lead to it, then he or she has sinned in the sight of God. And according to these texts, if someone has remarried after divorcing illegitimately or causing a divorce, he or she has added to the sin of divorce the sin of adultery. That is plain from the text. You can read it and see it yourselves. That's not Tim Shorey talking. That is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, now please know that in saying this, I am not saying, and more importantly, Jesus is not saying that such a person who either divorces or causes a divorce or remarries illegitimately is any more evil than anyone else is. It is true, as the book of Malachi says, that God hates divorce. But did you know that the book of Proverbs says that God hates pride? And God hates lying. And God hates gossip and slander and divisiveness. God hates lots of sin. But they are still sins. And because He hates them, we need to learn from Him and live accordingly. Now, it may seem harsh. Believe me, these have been weeks of wrestling in my study and preparation. How do you, how do you preach the law of God in a generation where there is so much brokenness and so much need? And it occurred to me this week that Jesus preached the law of God in a generation of so much brokenness and so much need. The, there were leaders in His day, spiritual leaders, who had loosened the laws on divorce so much that they argued that if a wife burnt the toast, or the equivalent of that, if a wife burnt breakfast, a man had grounds for divorce. 
So what this means is that in that day when Jesus taught these things, the people that he was teaching included many who had failed to honor and do the very things that he was talking about. And so a lot of them would have felt guilt and they would have felt shame. But here's what we need to understand. Jesus' point is never to leave people guilty and ashamed. His truth is meant to convict us. His truth is meant to lead us to the truth. His truth is meant to enlighten us and transform us. But it is never meant to leave us guilty and ashamed. Jesus' goal is always forgiveness and transformation. That is what he is about. The goal of truth, the goal of God's law is never to beat people down and leave them there. The goal of God's law is to hold up, as James puts it, a mirror in front of God's people so that they can see themselves as God sees them and say, okay, what must I do to be saved? How do I gain forgiveness? How do I find peace with this God whose law I violated? And how can I be transformed in my life? Someone asked last week, we didn't have a chance to get to this question. It was an interesting, good question. The question went like this. If a person pursues membership at Risen Hope Church and has been remarried several years ago but did not go through the grounds of a biblical divorce, Will they be refused membership in our church? No. Never. Look, I got in. You can get in. I'm not kidding. I was an atheist who had no faith in God who hated the thought of God, who was running as fast as I could away from God, who was lusting after every sin under heaven, who would have committed every sin under heaven apart from the grace of God. And God saved me. And God let me in. And if, if we're going to look at a sin like this, say, oh, this is a sin that, that somehow or other keeps people out, then folks, you're all out. Let's just ourselves out the door let's lock the door and leave the place empty because if the church is people who have got it all right then the church is going to be empty the church is for sinners who know they are sinners who have come to faith in sin did I am I losing microphone here is it too distracting Am I okay? Let's see how this goes. It reminds me of Let's try this. Now I am tied to this pulpit. I do not like that. This reminds me of 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. Listen to this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality by the way the Greek words used there mean that they practice it with children, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of the Spirit of God. This, this text teaches us that those who practice these things without repentance cannot inherit the kingdom of God. They cannot go to heaven. But notice two things. The list includes sins of which all of us are guilty at some point or other in our lives. Who among us has never stolen? Who among us has never committed some kind of sexual immorality, at least in our minds? Who among us has never abused alcohol or drugs or food? Who among us has never been greedy? Who among us has never been a reviler or a mocker towards spiritual things? Who among us has never been an idolater who loved and served something or someone else more than God? Who among us has never done these things? Let him who thinks he stands. I'm getting verses mixed up. Help me out here. Is there anyone who wants to stand and cast the first stone? The reality is that the church is full of people who have sinned in all of these ways. And yet, they have had a major plot change in their life, leading to a whole different conclusion. For what does Paul say? Such were some of you. But you were washed and sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What makes the church the church is not that we have all gotten our marriages right or all gotten divorce right or all gotten anything else right. What makes the church the church is that we are sinners who know we are sinners. We know we are broken. We know we don't deserve God and His mercy and His heaven. We know what we do deserve, but we have cried out for mercy to the one who died for those sins, who took all the punishment for all of those sins on his shoulders, who, by whose stripes we are healed. We cry out to him for mercy, and he says, you are forgiven. You have my mercy. So what does all this mean? I, just, I say all of this because these teachings of Jesus are so sensitive and they, they play on our consciences in a certain way that can leave us feeling deeply and profoundly ashamed without any hope and, and you, we need to hear this in the context of the gospel. We need, we can, we can only process this rightly if we know that Jesus has died for these sins to forgive us of these sins and then transform us so that we will sin less in the future. May it be that that will be our faith as we hear God's word. Now, the question is, and I have to handle this quickly, 
Are there exceptions to this clear no divorce rule that Jesus lays down? And if there are exceptions, what are they? God's intent is clearly stated here in the text. Marriage is intended to be permanent. What God has joined together, let not man separate. This means that a lot of the normal excuses that people use for getting out of a marriage do not fly with God. In his book on marriage and divorce, Jim Neuheiser lists several excuses that people make. My spouse isn't a Christian. We weren't married in the church. My spouse is a huge disappointment. We are no longer in love. I married the wrong person. I owe it to myself to be happy. All my friends say I should divorce him. God will forgive me. I could add number of excuses that I have heard over the last 35 plus years of ministry. I never loved him or her. She's not the same person I married. I was young and naive. God would want me to be happy. She's impossible to live with. I couldn't help falling in love with someone else. God knows my heart is in the right place. These, these are the excuses. These are the justifications and rationalizations. But dear ones, I'm afraid they don't hold up before God. They, they, there may be degrees in some of these which if they are reached can lead to separation and divorce, but by themselves they don't. They don't. According to Jesus, according to Jesus, there's not to be divorce. However, Jesus uses a phrase here that needs to grab our attention. He speaks of the hardness of our hearts. There is a hardness that can happen in a marriage. And when it takes certain forms, it can actually lead to permissible divorce in the mind of God. Things can go horribly wrong. So wrong that divorce may, and on some occasions, may even have to happen. Hardness of heart manifests in two primary ways, as we see it in Scripture, connected to marriage, infidelity and abandonment. Infidelity and desertion. The first is infidelity, Matthew 19, your Bible's open, verses 8 and 9. He said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, Matthew 5 words it like this, except on the ground or for the reason or argument or cause, of sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Along with many, many Christian Bible scholars, we take this to mean that there is an exception to the divorce law when a spouse has committed sexual infidelity. In such cases, a Christian may divorce and may remarry. Though he or she does not have to, forgiveness can play even there. 
but there is permission from the Lord. He, she may divorce when adultery happens. A second ground for divorce, divorce in our view, is abandonment or desertion. Now, Jesus doesn't mention that here in this context because he is talking to a crowd of believers primarily. And later on, after Jesus has gone back to heaven and the gospel started reaching into new places, it led to people coming to faith in Christ. And some of those who had converted to Christ and declared him to be Lord of their life after they had gotten married, were still married to unbelievers. And so they wondered, we read about this in 1 Corinthians 7, they, they wondered if they either could or should divorce their spouses because they were now kind of unequally bound together with unbelievers. Paul's answer in 1 Corinthians 7, and please follow this as I read it just so that you hear God's word. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul's answer under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God was this. To the married, he writes, to the married, he's talking there to two married believers. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. What he means is that this situation is the very one that Jesus was teaching about in Matthew 19. Jesus talked about this. He's saying, the wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. Now to the rest I say, I am not the Lord. And what he means there is, what he's about to say is a situation that Jesus did not address, that Jesus did not talk about. This is a new situation that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her children. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. In other words, if you stay married to an unbeliever, you have the opportunity to have a sanctifying, holy effect on their lives. And Paul is saying that is a wonderful reason to stay married even to an unbeliever. But, verse 15, if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved or bound to that marriage. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife. This is the word of God. And the point here is this. Do not automatically think that because you are a believer married to an unbeliever, you should run out and get a divorce. Do everything you can to stay married so that you can have a godly influence on your spouse. However, if your spouse does not want to stay married or chooses to separate, then you are not bound. And later on in 1 Corinthians, there's freedom to remarry in situations like that. Now, it raises 
massive pastoral personal questions. How do we apply this? How do we address this? Specifically, what do you do if a spouse says that they want to stay married, but everything about them says they don't? What do you do if with their lips they say, I love you, but with their fist or with their tongue or with their berating and abusive language, with their demeaning health and life-threatening neglect and their cruelty and their malice, they abuse and mistreat. There are spouses who are like the worshipers of Jesus' day. In Matthew 15, what does Jesus say? They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their lips are close, but their hearts have divorced me. Their hearts have abandoned me. Lots of spouses love and want to stay married with their lips, but their hearts are far away. They have separated relationally through abuse and destructive behavior. You can be a geographical neighbor and even a cohabitor, but be a relational deserter. Not talking here about normal ups and downs of a marriage relationship. How many of you are married? Has anyone never had an argument? Never had a fight? Never had a quarrel? Has anyone never sinned seriously in your marriage? Uh, Dan Huey just raised his hand. <laughs> we needed that. Thanks. Um, no, we're not talking here about the normal ups and downs and struggles and challenges of marriage. We're talking about intentional, wicked, abusive, relational abandonment that is masked with words of love. And it is our conviction, it is our conviction that that is a form of abandonment. And in fact, in Matthew 18, what do we learn? We learned that if a brother offends you, you're to go to them. And if they do not repent, then eventually they're to be put out of the church and they're to be treated as an unbeliever for their impenitent sin. And often, I've seen it through the years, where there will be somebody who claims to be a believer, but for all practical purposes has abandoned wife or husband says, oh, I love her and want to stay married, but actions say otherwise. Difficult pastoral and personal decisions need to be made in situations like that. Oh, so much more could be said. We do believe that Scripture, the Word of God, and I tremble before God as I speak because I know one day I'll give an account to Him for what I'm saying. We do believe that Scripture allows for divorce and remarriage when there is infidelity or desertion that happens. Friends, 
One thing is clear. Marriage is serious business. It is serious business. The disciples weren't far off when they said, Lord, if this is true, then maybe we shouldn't get married. And Jesus doesn't correct them. He kind of says, yeah, you're kind of right. Uh, however, God has intended that many be married. He has intended that many others be what the text calls eunuchs, those who either voluntarily or in some other way are single and celibate to serve Christ. Whether we're married or single, we're to be serving Christ with all of our hearts. And marriage is to be held as sacred. So as we address these things and talk about these things in our own lives, let us do so with reverence and godly fear, lest, lest we treat as trivial and casual that which is awesome and wonderful. But let's keep in mind that God abounds in mercy and is ready to forgive. Let's keep in mind, I, I said right at the beginning, why preach this message? And one of the reasons I gave is because I think it can actually lead people to repentance and faith. Not asking for a show of hands, but are there people here this afternoon who have heard this message and realized, wow, by that standard, by that standard, I've sinned against the law of God many times. If not with my hand and with my body, but with my mind and with my heart. I've been unfaithful and impure. And well, if you felt that, it's good you felt that. Because the law of God is given to us to lead us to Christ, to show us our need for a Savior. So if you have felt that, don't, don't hang your head and heart in shame. Don't walk out, don't crawl out of here with some kind of sense of there is no hope for me. No, rise up and realize there is all hope for you because Jesus died for you. That's why he came. That's why he came. So that people like you and people like me could have a place in his home and his family forever and forever. And can I, can I say this? Oftentimes when topics like divorce and remarriage are talked about, or even other questions about sexuality and gender and all the rest are talked about, often it kind of comes off, and, I, and I'm imagining it probably has a little bit this afternoon, comes off as kind of this really serious and really sour and, you know, downer type of message. And, and we, we end up thinking about marriage just in these serious terms. Can I, can I flip it around as I close here um, and, and suggest this, that one effect that all of this should have on us is that we 
elevate and enjoy, if we are married, let us elevate and enjoy our marriages to the full. Let us cast ourselves into those marriages with all of our being. Let us make them all that they can possibly be through sacrificial love and enjoyment. Let us delight. Let's take Proverbs seriously. Husbands, delight in the wife of your youth. Be intoxicated with her love. Husbands, go after your wife with passion. Go after your wife with energy. Go after your wife with joy. Make her feel like she's the most loved woman on the planet. And wives, love your husbands and serve your husbands and be alongside of your husbands. You who are married, don't go away from this saying, oh wow, I better stick away from that sin or that sin. No, go away from this thinking, Lord, give me grace to elevate this marriage, to enjoy what you have given to me, to make it all that you want it to be so that it can accurately reflect the kind of love you have for us. Husbands and wives do that. If you're not married, realize that Jesus in his amazing love as the husband and lover of our souls wraps you up in his love and cares for you and is just as devoted to you as he is to anyone else and he wants your affection and he wants your devotion and he wants your delight and he wants to give you tastes and experiences of who he is that the rest of us will never experience. Because it's just how good he is just how good he is. So if we have sinned, let us confess our sins and believe that Jesus died for our sins. And let us ask God for grace to grow. If we are married, let us be married to the full. Let us prosper in our marriages. If we are single, let us be single in earnest. Maximize all that we can get out of that singleness for the glory of God. This, beloved, is God's word as we understand it. Uh, may it be that God will give us grace to apply it. I'm afraid we're not going to have time for Q&A unless there's... No, I'm going to pass. Uh, uh, I am... Honestly, I'm spent right now, so I'm going to just pass on the Q&A. And uh, if you have questions, please see Alex afterwards. <laughs> or me. Let's pray. As our, as our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just had this sense that there might be some value in asking you for a bit of response. If this message has convicted you, if it, if it has awakened you to a self-awareness that you, in one way or another, have treated marriage as being less sacred, 
less holy than it is. And that conviction is filling your heart with regret and guilt. I want to I encourage you right now, we're going to take a few moments. I want to encourage you to pray. Ask God to forgive you, to change your heart. And if hearing this message has awakened you, maybe you just never knew before God's law for marriage, just how holy and sacred it is. And maybe you never knew before that God has something authoritative to say about marriage and how it's done and, and its permanence. And, And finding out that God's ways and your way don't line up. And maybe for the first time, you're just aware that that means you're guilty before God. And if you've never trusted in Jesus to be your Savior, never confessed sin and believed that he died for you, then... This would be a good time to do that. So if that's you, this is your first time of almost a, a kind of awakening to the reality of sin in your life. And a holy God who doesn't like sin and your need for his forgiveness. If, if that's you, just... Pray along with me. I'm going to pray a prayer just to be something of a guide for you. And maybe you'll want to pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I've come to realize I'm a sinner. I never really knew it before. But now I know I am. And I know, dear God, that you are not a sinner. You are holy. And you hate sin. And in fact, because you're holy, you need to punish sin. But Lord, I don't want to be punished for my sin. I ask you to forgive me. And I want to trust that when Jesus died on the cross, he took the punishment for my sins. And I want to believe in him, that he is Lord and Savior, and I want my life to belong to him. I want to be one of his followers. Will you please save me, dear Lord, and forgive me, I ask. In Jesus' name.
if in your own heart you had a conversation with God, something like that right now, maybe for the first time, we would love a chance to talk with you afterwards to help guide you into a deeper understanding of what it means to trust in Jesus. I wonder if you all would stand with me as we close, that we might pray a benediction over us, that God, by his mercy and grace, would bless and sanctify us. O oh Lord our God, you are our Father in heaven. Your Son Jesus is our Savior, our Lord, the husband of our hearts. Your Holy Spirit is our comforter and guide, triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We love you and want to live for you this week. Would you please watch over our marriages and all of our relationships and keep us faithful and make us more holy? Would you watch over our every step and guard us from every evil path and those temptations that so easily ensnare us? And would you comfort us when we are discouraged, strengthen us when we are weak, guide us when we are lost, forgive us when we fail, and love us until we see your face. In Jesus' name, amen.